to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Construction uh, Big Breakfast. And uh, today we have a very special guest uh, recently voted into the top 40 under 40 in construction in Canada, Arash. Um, and also with me uh, again this week is my colleague Sheldon. Um, so Arash, um, before we ask you the most important question of the podcast, would you like to uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers? Sure. Thank you guys for inviting me. Glad to be here. My name is Arash. I'm the CEO of Echo Innovation Lab. Uh, glad to be here with you guys today. So most important question of the day, Arash, what did you have for breakfast? I haven't. Uh, that's the that's uh, that's the problem. It's intermittent fasting, so uh, it's painful. Uh, yes. uh, but yeah. no breakfast for me for a while. Fair enough, Sheldon. Can you? Uh, I mean, you can't do worse. No. Um, yeah, I just had porridge, uh, some fruit, and a cu- cup of coffee today. I went with a buttered bagel today with my uh, coffee. So I think we've uh, we've generally failed with that one, really. I mean, we no one's had anything interesting for breakfast. <laughs> I'll kill that for like I'll I'll kill for that coffee right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, Arash, um, so would you like to um, give us a little bit of insight into uh, Aco uh, Innovation Labs? Um, so it was founded uh, by yourself and a few others. Was it last year or the year before? Uh, last year, beginning of last year, just before, or at, actually just in the middle of the pandemic. That, that's Perfect timing. Started, yeah, couldn't be better. Uh, and what um, what was the uh, uh, the sort of the the reasonings for the for starting Eco Innovation Labs? What what sort of made you and your partners think this is the the right time to start this business? Sure. Um, so my background is uh, civil engineering. Um, so that's what I started in school and got interested in construction management and automated construction management. So did my PhD in that and then joined the software company uh, for, for some time, working on mega projects over a billion dollars for project information management systems. Um, after that, I joined University of Toronto and I spent about six years at U of T, uh, started and managed a research center on building innovations. And four of those six years, we were mostly working with the local governments uh, digitization of government services uh, with regards to the development approval process. So we're looking at e-permitting systems uh, at municipalities. And we did that for about four years. And towards the end of it, um, we got to a point that we'd done a lot of research, but um, we weren't able to produce tools that the industry could use. Um, because U of T was a research intensive university, um, a lot of the R&D funds that would come in, we would spend on research. and We've done some fantastic research at UFT, but the challenge was we got to a point that we figured the industry is in need of tools and um, hands-on uh, products that they could use uh, to move forward. So Eco Innovation Lab was formed um, to bridge that gap between academic R&D and industry solutions. So we're basically an R&D management platform, if you will, uh, so we bring in the stakeholders together, public and the private sector, and we tackle some of those underlying um, digitization issues within the AAC sector um, that we couldn't do 
in an academic setting. So we still have very strong academic ties. Um, I'm an adjunct professor at the University of Waterloo myself, and we work with a number of academics across Canada, and we just started to expand into US. Um, so we basically have a strong academic network that help us with the research, and we focus on the management of that research and commercialization of that research. So that's basically what, what we do. Um, we have some adjacent arms at ACO uh, on top of R&D. Uh, as different groups came together on one of our projects, One Ontario, um, they also started talking to us about their digitization challenges. So uh, when the Building Official Association came in, they were talking about the fact that the Ontario Building Code hasn't been digitized and they've been asking for it for almost a decade. And uh, so we, we, we produced a product, My Building Code, and put that onto market and basically digitized the Ontario Building Code on an app, um, which was very, very received by the industry. So we have this product studio arm that we create products that the industry requires. So instead of building products and trying to sell to the industry, we listen to the industry, we, we understand what is it that they need, we verify what is it that they need, and we put a POC proof of concept together for them to test and then get their feedback, and then we spin that off into a startup uh, within the second. So that's the second arm, and the third arm is consulting. So these are the three different arms of ACO. Uh, started with the R&D management, and we now have the product studio as well as the consulting arm up and running. You um, sort of mentioned it sort of briefly, um, briefly there. Um, so One Ontario is uh, one of the, would you call it a product or a platform um, that is currently sort of gaining quite a lot of traction? Um, do you want to sort of introduce that and um, be interested in understanding where that came from? Was that your idea or did you, the municipalities or general contractors who came to you with this is my problem? No, it was definitely not, a, not our idea. It, uh, it was um, a combination of everybody else's ideas uh, in terms of what needed to be done in that space. So with Wall Ontario, the focus is on streamlining the development approval process in the province of Ontario. Uh, under that banner, there was a lot of work that we did at UFT, others did at Ryerson, and a whole bunch of other consulting firms and, and groups have done work in that, in that area. The government itself uh, and different parts of the government have been doing some work on that uh, along those lines. Uh, and it got to a point, quite honestly, that all of our reports and their reports and everybody else's reports was becoming the same. We all identified the challenges, we all agreed on the challenges, but nobody was doing anything about those challenges. So One Ontario was formed as a coalition of all those different players who've been working in this area or who are stakeholders in this area to come together and, and resolve that issue once and for all. Um, now, we have a coalition of about 25, just over 25 different organizations that includes uh, the Building Official Association, includes the Planners, Ontario Professional Planners Association. Uh, on the residential side, we have Rescon, Build, and OHPA that together represent the vast majority of residential developments in the province. We have OGC on the commercial side and a lot of technology partners and stakeholders, including Conservation Ontario, who all come together and what they're basically saying is that we understand there are challenges with the development process. We understand that we are part of that workflow and we're willing to work together to resolve it. And the common denominator that they could all agree on is data exchange. Uh, and through all of our research that we've done, uh, we realized that where it all falls apart is the data exchange between all these different stakeholders. So you have municipalities on one end who are 
adapting e-permitting solutions. There's a handful of products, most of them pretty good, um, that municipalities are picking up. And then you have agencies like conservation, uh, MTO, and all the other applicable law uh, agencies who are picking up solutions or developing in-house solutions. The challenge is that the only data exchange between municipalities and all these different stakeholders is paper right now. So you could fax the paper or you could email the paper or, or you could physically move the paper as it's being done right now with curbside pickup because of COVID. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it's all paper exchange. So that, that's what Ontario, one Ontario is focusing on, defining what language and what uh, format uh, these different agencies need to communicate to each other. So that, that's the essence of one Ontario. And I, that language issue, um, is that the, the biggest problem? I mean, um, you know, different companies will call apples something slightly different. Um, you, you know, getting that common sort of schema together to understand when someone says A, they mean B to someone else. Is that the, the hardest part for, for one Ontario on the data exchange? Not necessarily, because uh, in our previous work, we, we attempted to standardize the definitions and processes, and, and that failed. And the reason that that failed was because uh, our municipalities, um, asking them to change what they've been doing for decades uh, is very difficult. So instead, what Juan Ontario is doing is asking them to do whatever they're doing now, but we just need to map out what their workflows are and what their um, requirements are to what everybody else requires. So you can do keep doing what you're doing, but when you're exporting that information to an agency, we need that formatted in a certain way so the agency can actually absorb that automatically. Because the, the situation that is right now, we have municipalities who've got e-permitting solutions, good solutions, and their solutions are saying we are capable of the agencies logging onto our system, right? Let's just everybody use our system. Uh, and that makes sense from a municipality perspective. But from an agency perspective, who deals with 20 different municipalities, they're saying, well, that's not going to work because every municipality is using a different system. And I'm not going to log into 20 different systems to get the information that I need. So you know what? Fax it in or email it in. At least that's consistent. And that, that's the problem, the, connecting all these different systems to, uh, to one uh, common uh, platform. Uh, so mapping definitions is certainly part of it, um, but a, a bigger part, in my opinion, is for these agencies and municipalities to decide and, and explain clearly what is the information that they need, in what format do they need it in, and when do they need that information. Like that, that those are the three big questions that we have uh, for everybody who's joining One Ontario. They need to define what is it that they need, in what format can they accept that, and when do they need that information? Because currently, when, when we go digital, the biggest challenge in government is that sometimes they digitize the paper process, which defeats the whole purpose of digitization. Uh, when you go to a digital platform, your workflows could be very different. So uh, the biggest challenge, long answer to your short question, but the biggest challenge is to identify how the workflows are gonna change now that we have a digital asset uh, in front of us and not paper because uh, that's where the biggest bang for the buck is, in my opinion, uh, in terms of gaining efficiencies, of doing things a little differently now that we have access to a digital asset. Mm -hmm. 
And what's the um, the final vision you guys have for One Ontario? Where do you want to take it? Excellent question. So um, we've already started um, the One Can One Canada Portal initiative uh, that basically is the higher level above One Ontario. So One Ontario talks about data exchange standards between municipalities and stakeholders, um, and Ontario is our sandbox, if you will. Uh, we're already talking to BC and Nova Scotia, and they're looking to see what what happens to One Ontario so they can adopt the same thing across different provinces. But the One Canada portal, um, that project will be looking at submission of PIM files uh, to, to municipalities for permitting. Uh, and um, the reason we're doing that is because the design community has invested heavily in BIM. We've done three national BIM surveys in Canada so far, uh, and there is data to show that our design community is actually a lot more BIM capable than some give them credit for. Um, especially on the ICI sector, but slowly getting into residential as well. Um, so what we are doing with uh, with the federal government, uh, we're putting a proposal together with uh, Building a Smart Canada and the federal government for the submission uh, for a data standard for BIM submission to municipalities. Now, we have Calgary as an example of a municipality in Canada who's working towards BIM submission. Um, but the challenge is expecting individual municipalities to, to become BIM capable uh, is a tall order, given everything else that they have going on and, and the budget restrictions and all that good stuff. So what we're what our vision is, is for the industry to be able to submit a BIM, BIM file to a single portal based on the standards that Building a Smart Canada is gonna specify. And then be for that for that portal to become intelligent. So we can start doing a lot of checks that municipalities have to do or agencies have to do on that BIM platform, and it's going to be a BIM GIS integration on that platform. So we're going to be doing a lot of the checks um, centrally, and then we'll send that documents in whatever format the municipalities can accept to municipalities for processing. So if a certain municipality is willing to become BIM capable, fantastic, we can send them the BIM file, but most municipalities will not do that. Uh, they want 2D drawings, and we can easily generate 2D drawings from the BIM file and send them to them. Uh, but along those files that we're sending, we're actually going to be sending them um, a number of checks that have been done on the BIM submission. So that's the end vision uh, several years ahead of us. Um, but that's essentially where we're headed. Um, and, and that feeds into a whole lot of other things. So the reason that's going to the federal government is because that gives you, that gives the government uh, a, a massive data bank of all the digital assets, digital copy of all the assets that are being built across the country. So when you talk about digital twins and all the other fun stuff in this area, that could become a massive repository of information that could feed all of that. And then there's things behind beyond that. So if you have the beam file, then you can do as-built beam, and then you can do automated inspections of the uh, facilities and so on and so forth. So it enables a whole bunch of other things down the road um, for this industry. Um, with the submission of BIM to municipalities. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, that is a sort of a, a exciting development. And, and the interesting thing is sort of when you talk about municipalities and properly sort of digitizing workflows, and if you can build the, the rules, uh, you, you know, you turn the, the, the code and what have you into rules that can read the files and say yes or no, it makes their lives much easier in many ways and allows the people to focus on more value-added tasks 
rather than just sort of the tick box tasks that are so often required uh, in sort of permitting and planning requirements. So it's not just is it does it do what it needs to do? It's a, you know you can focus more on what else can it do? How can it sort of further add value to the end user? I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly it. <laughs> I'll let you keep that one then for uh, you can quote me next time. <laughs> we'll do. No, that, that that that's exactly what it is. Um, and uh, the good news here is that it's been done before, and and that's the beauty of it. Uh, we are far behind a lot of other jurisdictions internationally uh, on this issue. Uh, what our municipalities are doing today of going paperless uh, is what Singapore did in 1995. So we are decades behind in some cases. Um, there, there is some good news there. And the good news is that there are so many examples ahead of us that we can just take a look at, pick and choose what we like, uh, and then put together a solution. So there are advantages of being last. Um, but, but we really need to change that. So um, the good news in all of this is that nothing we're talking about, including the BIM submission and the automated code compliance checking and all that, none of that is new. Uh, it's, it's already been done elsewhere. We just need to bring it here and we need to update our codes and our standards to become uh, capable for, for that kind of uh, technology. But bottom line, it's not a technology question. Uh, technology has been solved before multiple folds. Uh, it's a process question. Uh, and it requires buy-in from industry and the governments uh, to be able to actually get this done. So we are hoping that with pressure from, from the industry and all these different organizations come together, we can convince the government that, you know what, now is the time. But let's let's finally get this done. No, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, BIM's, you know, BIM's a tool, not a solution, uh, really, isn't it? It's about the people, the workflows, and how you use it. Um, I, I mean, um, Sheldon, sort of, uh, you know, your past before Invent in um, uh, your products uh, and the likes in construction, um, you, you know, you're often getting third-hand knowledge of what the spec is and things like that. So I'm sure the Chinese whispers that you've been used to, um, you know, this process that Arash is talking about would massively have helped you understand what your client really wanted. Yeah, and even going back to the digitization of the building code. That was something I've worked with in years and I just had to download copies and PDF. And it's interesting now that it's starting to be on an app, which would be more convenient um, from the drop sites I've been on. Um, just having the access right there saying, okay, what's that? Uh, I'm on a drop site um, doing a building. What code does that meet code? I can easily check it up on the app. Um, that's very innovative. I think that's something we should have done years ago when I started back in 2005. Um, but interesting to see that um, developing now. Um, what I've seen in the past 12 months, uh, how the world has gone, it seems to be more of an acceleration of adapting technology now in construction. More people are willing um, to open their eyes to seeing how we can use technology to benefit what we're doing or increase our, our processes, improve um, what we're doing. I think over the last 12 months or so, even more than that, there's been a, a big push uh, it's good to see that companies like yourself are um, leading the way in that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the building code was an interesting story because when they first came to us and said, can you digitize this? We looked at it and said, well, you have a fine there. You want to put that on an app? Yes, we can do that. I mean, what could, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, so 
uh, that was a painful several months of exercise for us to do that. And what was interesting is that we came up with a list of errors in the building code. Uh, because w once you go digital, then then all the things come to surface, right? So there are uh, numbering issues, and there are other things in the building code right now mm -hmm. that we could caught, we could catch by going to the digital platform. So that was interesting, um, but but yeah, easier said than done. Um, yeah. It's out there now. It's it's on there. My building code. You can download it for free and uh, on both uh, mobile platforms right now. So. So we've been sort of talking for 20 minutes already, um, and um, you know we've been talking about nothing but innovation in construction, um, uh, and it's sort of an interesting subject more generally. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we at Invent, um, as part of our, the the services that we provide, we do sort of shred in Canada and R and D in the UK and Ireland, and we're constantly up against this battle, uh, and what I think is a, a a poor reflection of us as an industry that we do not innovate, that we are sort of cavemen when it comes to innovation, which is, I personally feel, and I hope you agree, especially with what you do, is very unfair for us as an industry, that we are actually very innovative as an industry. We just don't shout about it enough. Um, I can go both ways on this one. Uh, <laughs> um, in Canada, at least, like when you look at the UK or Singapore or some other jurisdictions, um, they've adopted more of a top-down approach. Uh, at least there's leadership in place. And that leadership, when it comes to the BIM example, BIM is a good example. Uh, UK has a very sophisticated BIM, BIM implementation uh, platform. They've invested a lot of money in it. Uh, and they basically um, equip the industry to become BIM capable. Uh, Singapore has done the same thing. Other jurisdictions have done the same thing. What's lacking here in Canada is that top leadership piece, um, because um, unlike UK, we don't have a government mandate. In fact, we are the only G7 country without a national beam mandate. So uh, let that sink down, sink for a second. Um, having said that, we've got, the, to your point, we've got the industry who's actually using BIM, investing in BIM with zero government support, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I give our industry a lot of credit for, for doing what they're doing. Uh, in one of the papers that we've done before, we uh, described as a middle-out approach as, as opposed to a top-down approach. And, and someone commented that that's not an approach, the middle-out approach. And I said, exactly, that's not an approach, but, but that's what it is right now. Uh, it's the industry trying to move ahead and trying to pull the government, uh, and the government is not coming. Um, so uh, I think um, a lot of the issues that we have, at least in Canada, um, our industry has been because our players are our industry players are competing globally, so they have to be on BIM. They have to be on the edge of technology, right? Um, uh, my goal, ultimate goal, if if I'm successful in doing in doing what we're doing, we want to push the government to catch up, right? Uh, it's one thing to for government to lead, that which would be fantastic, uh, but at the very minimum, we want them to at least catch up to what the industry is doing, right? You can't have drones and AR and VR and 3D scanning on a site and eventually robot, robots coming to site and you still submit paper for permit. Like that, that just can't happen, right? Uh, at some point, our governments need to keep up. And the good news is that there's been a lot of investments announced, at least, uh, on the government side um, to for them to catch up. There's a one, in one instance, there's a $500 million uh, provincially 
that's been assigned to digitization of government services. So what COVID did for us, um, I don't think we could have done. Uh, what COVID did in a year, we couldn't have done mm -hmm. in five, six years. Uh, because what COVID did was basically highlighted the, the, the issue, put the spotlight on the government and said, you know what, um, you're shut down. You're shut down because you're in paper, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there were governments that were municipalities who are already on e-permitting e systems, and they remained open. And, and that black and white contrast uh, really helped um, our cause, if you will. Uh, but to your point, I think the industry uh, is trying. I think uh, the industry is trying to constantly push the push the boundaries. Um, but, but we do need government support. This kind of work requires some level of top-down uh, support. Yeah, so I, I mean, talking from a UK perspective, um, you, you know that, um, uh, like you say, the mandate from government, also having a, a, a chief government advisor, whatever the role is called at the moment, it, it's changed quite a lot in the last uh, 12 months. Um, but, you know, when Paul Morell was there, you know, there was someone with governments here and industries here, and it was, you know, that great conversation. The one negative to an extent We've done lots of great stuff top down, but coming top down, it's only the big players that were involved with a lot of that conversation. So they, they, it took a long time for the lower end and the smaller companies, the SMEs, to to understand what the big complicated words were all about and how. And it almost created a um, a, a marketplace that excluded people because it was sometimes too difficult to join the conversation. But with the UK BIM Alliance, uh, with the Construction Innovation Hub now, and all of these, um, that yes, government started, but the industry has sort of pushed forward now. Um, it certainly helps get the messaging out. Um, and um, I think Canada's geography might make it, historically would have made it more difficult, but now with, like you say, the last 12 months has changed, everyone's um, opinion in how to talk and communicate and share so, you know, geography can't be a, sort of an excuse anymore. Oh, absolutely. And, and to your point, yes, the big players, um, they have to lead uh, in some cases. They just they have more resources and they have more um, more more money, if not anything else. Uh, but it's the same thing in any industry, right? Even in sports, right? You have this and uh, the, the biggest soccer news these days is this Super League, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, and yes, the big players can play together and make a lot of money. Um, but but the way that it was structured before was basically yes, you have money. These guys don't have money. Let's play together, and then they get some money. Um, so I think that there's models there that uh, could basically benefit the SMEs as well as the big guys. Um, um, but there, there's no question that um, the big players need need to lead. Having said that, we've had engineering firms in Toronto that um, have started their business on BIM and only BIM, right? So um, there is a vacuum, if you will, uh, for, for, for that kind of players to come in and shine. Um, so yes, the big players uh, are there and they can lead, um, but they also have a lot of inertia. And for them to change, it's gonna take a lot of resources. I think there is an opening for SMEs that that have that can switch faster uh, and leapfrog uh, forward, whereas some of the big players is going to take years and years to kind of turn the ship. Uh, but if you are in a CDU, you can kind of change course very quickly. So, uh, I think 
I think there is an opening there for small players to uh, to kind of leapfrog um, to, to that edge of technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, so unbelievably, we have been talking for nearly half an hour, so we will have to uh, bring it to an end. Um, one last uh, sort of question from me: um, If you were to um, point our, our our listeners and viewers to other than one Ontario, that's too easy an answer. Uh, so one exciting development, one exciting technology, uh, one thing that you think everyone should not necessarily adopt today, but get up to speed with, what would that be for you? Robotics, I think. Uh, I think that's going to be the next big thing. Um, they came around about 20 years ago and kind of died away because the technology wasn't there. Uh, the ideas were that the technology wasn't. Um, but with what's happening today, I think robotics is going to be a, a very interesting uh, area uh, coming up in construction, kind of taking over some of the more risky and and and, and mundane tasks of construction relatively easily, where, to your point earlier, the workforce can focus on more interesting and more, more, more challenging tasks. So um, I, I think we're far away from robots coming in and build the whole thing. Um, but I think very soon we can have them come in and help out uh, in a number of tasks uh, in a construction world. So that's what excites me. I think um, robotics could be the next big thing. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Definitely. Um, well, unless you've got another question, Sheldon, we'll. Uh... No, that's it. Uh, it was good. Yeah. Thank you. Guys. Thank you for, for, for having me. And it was, it was great having this uh, UK experience and UK perspective. And I think that's what this industry needs. Uh, we need to kind of get out of our own bubbles and boundaries and talk to people in other parts of the world uh, because there's a lot of lessons learned. Um, so I commend you for doing what you're doing and for bringing in that UK experience into Canada. I think there's a lot to learn both ways. Uh, yeah, and that's the key, both ways. I think we should never forget, yes, we're very good at certain things, but we're not the best at everything. Uh, and it should always be an exchange of, of learning and information. So um, uh, so thank you very much uh, for uh, your time today. It has been a really uh, fascinating conversation. Uh, for everyone uh, listening, watching, I hope you agree. Uh, And if you do, please do like, subscribe uh, and share this week's episode and make sure you tune in uh, next time. Uh, So thank you uh, very much, everyone, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.